Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 144 unread books on my shelf. With me, as always, is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan is a sound recordist. I'm here as well. Yay. Yes, he is. Guys, this is a big day. This happens very rarely. We are all four in the same room. It's wild, let me tell you. To see you all here. To smell you. Yeah. Is it better than talking to like a, a blank wall? My blank wall's nice. <laughs> no, but this is better. I imagine you now, every time you record, you're like inches from the wall with the microphone at like a right angle to your face so you can no. get right in there. I actually have quite a nice little setup, but this is better by far. What if you were like, I like it better if you're not there? I like it better in my little cage. <laughs> I like that you guys didn't give me, you know, any guff for 144 books on my shelf. Well, now you're inviting it. Yeah, at this point, I just don't notice that because slowly defeats the purpose of everything we're doing yeah you're right the number's meaningless <laughs> it's like if someone slaps you in the face every day eventually you're just like oh that's what happens just part of my day mm-hmm. well yes it is higher so <laughs> we won't worry about that uh but i have no new shame to report that was just back from my library book sale shame do, mm. do you guys have any shame no not not i awesome. no i am pure pure <laughs> pure as heck excellent i do want to give myself a little props which is i went to a went to the bookstore and I, I picked up a few books and I mm-hmm. almost bought them and I didn't. So may I ask why you went there in the first place? Yeah. Well. She likes to ride the razor's edge. Here's the thing. We were going to a movie and there's a really nice bookstore next to the movie theater. Drop that name. Skylight Books. That's a good bookstore. Yeah. And so I was like, well, I got to check it out. I got to see what they have. I got to hold my handle above this flame just to see <laughs> just if I feel see. something. Does and, it hurt this time? And they had like new copies of a few books I wanted that were signed by the author. Drop that name. So Imaginary Friend by Steve Chobsky. Chobomsky. Drop that name better. <laughs> <laughs> and um, Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern, who wrote Night Circus, one of my favorite books ever. I did not know she had a new book out. Yes, I'm she does. excited. And you can get a signed copy at Skylight Books. But Is it I, extra? It costs the same as like a new hardcover book. That's not that yeah. bad. I might go steal that and I'll buy it there and I'll read go. it right in front of you. So my justification for this was, you know, Christmas is coming and I'm probably going to get a gift certificate <laughs> and then I'll, I'll be able to purchase it later, like with a little less shame. I'm going to give you a gift certificate that says this is for Aaron Morgenstern's new book, signed copy, but then you'll go there and I'll have already bought it. And I'll <gasps> laugh. Toby is just all about the cruelty today. Yeah. It's the Christmas <laughs> season. It brings it out of me. It's the Christmas spirit. Speaking of the holiday season, this week, as this podcast comes out, it's Thanksgiving. Are there any Thanksgiving-themed books? Probably not. Oh, people are screaming in their cars or something right now. I can't think of one. A Thanksgiving Carol by Charles Dickens. You know, Dylan, usually this is where a producer would Google Thanksgiving books. I don't have my phone on me. (laughs) Okay, usually a producer would have, like, some kind of access to the internet. Well, I'll just say that I think it's interesting that usually, like, over holidays you have more time to read. I Mm. find over Thanksgiving I have much less time to read. Why is that? Because your family is in town to pester you? Yes, and and I'm falling asleep from eating all the turkey. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Uh mm -hmm. I'm watching the dog show very important i'm getting locked in the backyard and thrown scraps of food as is tradition in our family yeah yeah um i'll say one benefit well one benefit slash i kind of miss it of having tofurkey doesn't make you sleepy but i you know i went up before i was uh vegetarian i thought of the idea of a tofurkey was gross and i thought it was silly dude they're really good it's like it's like fake turkey meat it's like a log 
that doesn't sound appetizing. Yeah, no, this is a horrible description <laughs> but of it so far. It is. It's like a lot. All the vegetarians are like, it is good. Uh, it's like a log, and then it's like fake turkey meat, and then the middle is like fake stuffing. And it's really good. I'm not making it sound good, but it's so tasty. You know how it's this just log of something that isn't what it says it is, and it's filled with this other thing that isn't Grisly. quite like that. That it, you cut open and it spills out. Yeah, the spilling is the best part. Does it taste like turkey? Um, it tastes vaguely like turkey, but it just tastes good. I guarantee you, if I gave you all a slice of tofurkey with like the fake tofurkey gravy, you'd all like it. Is that a threat? That is a promise. <laughs> you will wake up in the morning. On a promise is just a kind threat. Oh wow. If well, we if we made t-shirts, that would be a t-shirt. <laughs> All right. Well, is that enough intro? Do you guys have any other topics? Uh, you guys ever worry that you're going to die by your bookshelves falling on you? No, but I did worry we were out of town when there was a big earthquake, and I worried that the books big. fell on the cats, and I made Toby go and check. Well, to be fair, I was already taking care of your cats. Well, yeah. <laughs> But I mean, I think I think I was I think you messaged me. You were like, what if they fell on the cats? And I was like, yeah, I'm checking as soon as I can. And then I like checked later that day. When yeah, I know. And the there. hours passed. Like, yeah, well, we have those, you know, Ikea bookshelves, Billy bookshelves, shout out that are great. But we haven't taken the time to like attach them to the wall like you're supposed to. Yeah. And I guess it wouldn't really matter. The Our books shame. could just fall out. Um, yeah. I, a lot of times people will come in to like, you know, plumbers or whatever, and they will comment and joke on the books like got enough books. I'll be like, no. How many plumbers have been in this house? <laughs> Enough. How many plumbers have been crushed to death by our books? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this week on the podcast, Toby had a book chosen at random from his shelf. Toby, what book did you read? I read East of Eden by John Steinbeck. Ooh. I never heard of it. Mm. Or him. This is exciting. A lot <laughs> if of it is even a him. A lot I mean, of our fans are very excited to hear what you have to say because a lot of people have said that this is one of their favorite books. So I'm interested to hear your review. Well, Ooh. I bet they will be too. Um, so are you ready for my log line? Yes. No. It's a, it's a doozy because this book is enormous, both in actual page count and in the kind of scope. So here we go. East of Eden is an intergenerational story of life in the Salinas Valley of California at the turn of the 20th century that uses the biblical story of Cain and Abel to explore such simple themes as the nature of inherited trauma, the question of original sin, and the best way to approach life when it seems like maybe one's own nature is not equipped for living in the world as it is. You know, as you read that logline, I realized I've seen the movie based on this book with James <laughs> Well, then Dean. I'll take that. I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> I didn't remember that, and now I did. What character does he play? I haven't seen the movie. You, I, ju- you I just remember. remember the Cain and Abel aspect. I don't remember. I wonder if he is. He, well, he must have been the young one. But I will say at the outset, um, this book summarizing it is difficult because it is massive in all ways. Um, like I said, it's. 600 pages it's quite long and it's so ambitious um 250 pages shorter than outlander (laughs) (laughs) that's true i felt for you while i was trying to get this one done i was like oh boy um so i i find with like a lot of like um literary books that i really enjoy they will explore like moral themes or philosophy but in a kind of narrow way they'll like focus on one small aspect this is just shooting it's like a shotgun of philosophy it's blasting off into the sky in all directions so it's it's quite difficult i feel like i'm going to be able to summarize part of it but you know don't at me so <laughs> this is what this will kind of give you a clue as to what this book is like before i can even tell you what the book is like I have to make sure that every, all our listeners are at least a little bit familiar with the biblical story of Cain and Abel, because I know not everyone was, yeah, knows that. Cain killed Abel with a leg of a table. 
What? Nobody has heard that before? It's Cain's the one who kills his brother Abel. So you made up right? what he killed him with, with a leg of a table? That's how you remember who did it. You could just it's remember. It's a monomic. It. <laughs> yeah, no, I, always, I just remember that Cain killed Abel. Okay, well. Yeah. Like, listeners and at me. <laughs> this will tell you my level of self confidence. I was like, wow, I didn't know it was a leg of a table. <laughs> so, Cain and Abel uh, are the first sons of Adam and Eve. You heard of them? Uh, Abel is a kind of blessed kid. Um, Everybody loves him. He's effortlessly honest and good. And Cain um, was kind of a naturally envious and deceitful person who nobody liked. Um, one day, they each make a sacrifice to God, and God straight up tells Cain that his sacrifice is inferior and that he should try harder, and kind of pats Abel on the head. Everybody didn't like him, but there's only like five people in the world <laughs> at this time. Well, I mean, yeah, you strike out with a couple people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mom, dad, and my other brother. Cain is consumed with anger and jealousy uh, and kills Abel. Uh, later, when God asks Cain where Abel is, he responds with this famous line, quote, I do not know, am I my brother's keeper? Um, which even if you were not raised um, in the Christian tradition, you would probably recognize it's all over our popular culture. I say it all the time. Where's Xander? I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Also, we live in different cities. Mm-hmm. And Andrew's a ghost. So God obviously knows what happened. Um, He's God, and there's like five people on Earth. Um, So he punishes Cain uh, by doing two things. He gives him mark on his forehead, called the mark of Cain, and he curses him to wander the Earth forever. Um, And everyone on Earth will always recognize him uh, because he has the mark of Cain on his forehead. Um, And in some translations, Cain is banished to a place that is, quote, east of Eden. Wait, that's the title of the book. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So this biblical story uh, is retold within the book East of Eden multiple times. Um, It kind of examines it uh, several times through the lens of different characters representing um, Cain and Abel. The first two brothers that start the book uh, are named Charles and Adam. Get it? No. No. C and A. Cain and Abel, Charles and Adam. Oh. Oh, What about Adam Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve. Um... Adam and the ants. Adam, Adam and Alien ant farm. Alien ant. That's exactly where my brain went. <laughs> so, uh, Charles and Adam are the brothers that begin the book. Um, and Adam is the main character. He's the only person who spans the entire length of the whole book. Lots and lots of other characters come in and out or are introduced later in the story. But Adam Trask is his full name, is the only character who makes it all the way through the book. And he is a person who does approximately one and a half things in his whole life. Um, all the rest of the time, he's just reacting. He's reacting to his brother Charles, who is basically Cain. He's jealous of their father's love of Adam over him, um, and who is kind of deceitful and manipulates him. Um, Adam also reacts to his father, who forces him to join the army against his will. And then he eventually reacts against the actions of a sociopathic character, Kathy, uh, with whom he falls in love instantaneously and forever. Don't worry. That's based on one of his ex-wives. <laughs> is it's, it? Ooh, is it really? It is. Ooh, good fact. Whoa. Um, well, it sounds like Cain is more interesting. Uh, Charles is more interesting than Adam. Kathy is more interesting than Adam. Basically, all the quote-unquote bad, evil people in this book are far more interesting than Adam. It's one of the most. It's one of the frustrating things about the book is that Adam doesn't really do anything. He's mm-hmm. kind of like too good for the world. 
Adam's father forces him into the military. Charles tries to kill him because he's so jealous, but doesn't quite get the job done. And then he finally comes back and Charles tries to kind of get over his nature and become friends with him. They discover while they're living together on their family ranch that their father has died and left them an immense sum of money. And pretty much on the day or pretty close to that, um, this character, Kathy, stumbles into their lives. She is kind of dumped on their doorstep, nearly dead from being beaten to death by a man. Wow. Um, she is very obviously an evil character. She's really crazy and shady and like just radiates evil in a way that every single character besides Adam can tell. <laughs> so it's a little bit frustrating. It's one of those things where it's like, okay. Well, how many times does that happen with your friend when they're dating somebody <laughs> and, you, and they're like, do you like him? And you're like, t t yeah. Yes. And they break up and you're like, no. Oh, she was sociopathic. No. Uh, Adam falls instantaneously in love with Kathy um, and with the money that he's inherited from his father, he whisks her away um, as he finds out that she's pregnant to the Salinas Valley in California, where the main bulk of the story happens. Um, and he tries to set up a new life with the inheritance money. Once they get to the Salinas Valley, Adam buys a ranch, settles down, and interacts with a range of characters. Uh, the other two big ones are Samuel Hamilton, uh, a supremely wise philosopher, um, who is portrayed as a kind of real-life ancestor to Steinbeck himself. And also, uh, he interacts with Li, his Chinese servant, who is also a supremely wise philosopher. So you have this kind of like naive fool, Adam, surrounded by these two great wise men. Okay. Um, and it's kind of a trick that Steinbeck uses to set up kind of Socratic dialogues for the rest of the book. The, there's a lot of scenes of the three of them or with other various characters sitting around a table with coffee, just directly philosophizing for pages and pages and pages and pages at a time. Um, and that's the way the rest of the book, um, the family is set up in the Salinas Valley. Kathy is a sociopath who is totally evil. She does evil things and tries to ruin the family. Um, and the, the sons, spoiler alert, the sons that Adam ends up having kind of deal with the inherited pain of her being straight up evil. It's all just a lens to kind of re-examine these ideas about original sin, about the nature. If you are born a quote-unquote evil person, can you fight against that nature? Um, um, so my elves. My elves for East of Eden. Happy little elves. The language is absolutely gorgeous. Um, there's a lot. Some people have expressed frustration with the fact that he goes on for pages and pages with these kind of pastoral descriptions. Some of them might have been you, too. <laughs> yeah, well... I kind of liked him in the end. <laughs> um, it is, you know, Salinas, this beautiful, beautiful farmland, kind of just amazing area full of natural beauty. And he spends a lot of time describing it. And I, I really enjoy it. It's very beautiful. Steinbeck basically speaks very directly, sometimes through his characters and dialogue, and sometimes straight up where he's just addressing the reader directly. Um, it's actually a little bit weird how he goes back and forth between, he's all kind of narrating this to you as himself, as a relative of these people, but it shifts so far away from that sometimes that it's like a third person omniscient. It's a very strange thing, but he really does drop some incredible wisdom about what he believes are universal truths of men. Um, but I'm gonna read you a quote from page 412. Um, this will give you a kind of taste of his philosophizing. In uncertainty, I am certain that underneath their topmost layers of frailty, men want to be good and want to be loved. Indeed, most of their vices are attempted shortcuts to love. When a man comes to die, no matter what his talents and influence and genius, if he dies unloved, his life must be a failure to him and his dying a cold horror. 
It seems to me that if you or I must choose between two courses of thought or action, we should remember our dying and try so to live that our death brings no pleasure to the world. We have only one story. All novels, all poetry are built on the never-ending contest in ourselves of good and evil. And it occurs to me that evil must constantly respawn while good, while virtue is immortal. Vice has always a new, fresh, young face while virtue is venerable as nothing else in the world is. Well, that kind of speaks to like, Adam is good and boring. And, <laughs> you know, the uh, Charles is more interesting. And then Kathy comes and she's different. She's very interesting. Yeah. And it's a kind of encapsulation of what the whole book is about. Um, basically, are you able to fight past what your nature may be and do the right thing? Let's see. The characters are real. They're very well drawn. They're very rounded and concrete. Um, and yeah, and, I, and I'm really impressed by the, you know, he's shooting for the moon here. He's writing about the base building blocks of human nature. He's really tackling these gigantic ideas and it's beautifully written. Here are my orcs. There are is a really serious lack of women characters that are anything but side characters. And even worse than that, women in this book are either lovers, mothers, or horrific villains. That's all they're allowed to be. There is no, there's one character sort of toward the end who's a love interest of one of our main guys, and she's a little bit better, but she doesn't come in until, you know, five, six of the way through the book. So another orc is the wisdom. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes Steinbeck hits it out of the park. He has these like one line observations that are gorgeous and true and so well written that you're like, wow, this is like, this is truth. This is amazing. Sometimes, um, he has this kind of Anne Randian philosophy of kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, ultimate uh, individualism. And it just comes off as the kind of like back in my day or listen here, I got it all figured out. And and when he's not hitting the mark, oh boy, it can get real irritating because like I said, his characters talk at length about this stuff. So if you're not really vibing with him on what he's saying, it's real long and it can be very difficult to get through. A lot of this is reminding me of my Anna Karenina review. I think it's very similar. And it's one of the things I don't love about that type of Russian literature is mm-hmm. that kind of like, well, here's what I think about the nature of religion. And I'm going to have these characters very blatantly And we just want to get back to the character relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so the last orc I have is something that might be familiar to anyone who's read Steinbeck before, is the repetitiveness of his trick of misery, hope, death. So... Characters, you'll have two or more characters that are absolutely miserable. Their lives are unbearable. They are tearing themselves to pieces spiritually. They get together, have a very deep and honest conversation where they say things to each other that no human being, maybe a human being would say once in their lives to anybody else. They have these life-changing conversations. And then crucially, they make a plan. They plan for the future, and he describes the plan so well, and you have so much optimism and so much hope, and you're so excited about what they're going to do, and somebody dies every time it happens i think four or five times in the book to the point where it's like by time number three it really started to bug me because you could see it coming like so far away like you're like okay oh this miserable person is going to meet that miserable person yep here's the plan and i think that person's going to die and like the last three i called them all i was like yep that person's going to die that person's going to die so it's a good trick i mean it really gets you feeling But then the fact that he does it over and over and over again really subtracts from the effectiveness. Yeah, that's fair. So, in conclusion, um, I have barely scratched the surface of this book. It is massive. Um, And I think because I was so upfront about my orcs that you might think I liked it less than I did. And for parts of it, I really 
disliked it. I really struggled with it. But overall, it's an ambitious, impressive book, beautifully written. And I did enjoy it. The storytelling, because of people like Kathy, mm-hmm. is very exciting at times and very interesting. And we really get to be in Kathy's head. And she's really interesting and crazy. Um, so, yeah, in the end, I gave it four stars, actually. Whoa. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah it, I was not expecting that. It no. really won me over. It really did. But I do want to... I don't know. I want people to add us. I want to. I want to see if you because I really don't think you can get around these criticisms, people. At the record show, Toby was just waving his finger in the air. That's right. At the supposed ats coming at me. It sounds like a lot of classic novels that, like, when you're yep. done, you're glad you read it and you understand the value, but it's kind of a slog yeah. sometimes. It's, and it's a unique feeling too, where it's like four stars, but I don't think I'd recommend it to anybody. Yeah, but it is good, so you should read it. Okay. And it's the library's copy, so I won't be keeping it on my shelf. I'll be returning it to the library, where it is shelved in the young adult section, which is what? absurd. That must have been a mistake. YA. What? That's not how that works. Yeah. They're adults, though. It's about adults. It's about adults. It's very, very adult themes. You have to have a pretty good working knowledge of, like, biblical lore. This upsets me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, Andrew, do you have any facts on Mr. Steinbeck? Yes, I do. John Steinbeck was born on February 27th, 1902 in Salinas, California. Salinas. Mm -hmm. There you go. He spent his summers doing seasonal work at nearby ranches and knew from an early age he wanted to write. He went on to attend Stanford University where he studied English and tried, also as a side fact, to get into a class on human dissection (laughs) because he wanted to know how human beings worked. Totally normal. That's normal. Very practical application towards the whole knowing how human beings work. (laughs) So where's the sadness located? (laughs) (laughs) This group, this red stuff, it's the sadness, right? Because I'm filled with it. He left before he graduated and uh, began pursuing writing while doing odd jobs, including starting a company that made mannequins. Hmm. This guy's getting creepier by the minute. (laughs) Uh, When this business failed, he moved back to where his parents lived. um, And while he grew up in this rural environment and worked on the ranches, he actually came from pretty strong means when he moved back up he started receiving a stipend from his father to write without having to look for work mm. for context this is around the time of the great depression so pretty good setup tell you a little bit about how well off his family was mm. Mm. um before i go farther i want to say i got a lot of the information i'm about to tell you from an article on the independent called john steinbeck a flawed genius written by martin chilton Ooh. flawed you don't say <laughs> his first novel cup of gold was published in 1929 he continued to write and receiving commercial success finally with tortilla flat in 1935 he continued to regularly publish work including of mice and men in 1937 grapes of wrath 1939 and the moon is down 1942 so as you can see very prolific Mm-hmm. Really knocked out some classics pretty quick. Uh, East of Eden was published in 1952, and he considers it his opus, saying, It has everything in it I have been trying to learn about my craft and profession in all these years. I think everything else I have written has been, in a sense, practice for this. This is uh, a Steinbeck scholar named Suter. Steinbeck scholar named Suter. Hard to say. One of the things that attracted me to Steinbeck is that he was far from perfect. As a man, a husband, a writer, he had issues. He has had a permanent chip on his shoulder. He got sidetracked by ideas that were a waste of his time and talent. Some of his work is brilliant, and some of it is awful. That's what you want in a subject, a hero with flaws. Steinbeck was a literary giant who wouldn't play along with the idea that he was important. I love that. He was mad at the world because it seemed somehow mad at him. Which works did this uh, scholar consider stankers? Well, even when he won the Nobel Prize in 1962, like the person who was giving it to him was sort of like... 
everything after East of Eden was not really America. <laughs> <laughs> I said that in the speech. <laughs> he complimented a later work, and he's like, seems like he's returning to being good. <laughs> um, he was asked for his rules of life by a friend once. Um, oh, this is also from that article. Steinbeck replied with his four mottos. Oh. Never make excuses. Never let them see you bleed. Never get separated from your luggage. Always find out when the bar opens. Never uh, get separated from your luggage? Never let them see you bleed? Because that's where the sadness is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I want to close with two things. One, he used a lot of pencils, up to 60 in a day. That was his choice of, of how he wrote. Okay. And he used 300 on East of Eden. 300 pencils. I wonder wait, how short he let them wait. get. Wait, if he used 60 in yeah. a day. I don't. These facts were listed in several sources. So maybe, I don't know. Maybe there's just one day he just went cray. Maybe. I, I still ma- want to know how, how short he let them get because there's a point where you can't write in the middle. Um, and lastly, I'll close with um, a letter he wrote to his young son uh, who had fallen in love in high school with somebody and was asking for advice, which is uh, often quoted. There are several kinds of love, he wrote. One is a selfish, mean, grasping, egotistical thing which uses love for self-importance. This is the ugly and crippling kind. The other is an outpouring of everything good in you, of kindness and consideration and respect, not only the social respect of manners, but the greater respect which is recognition of another person as unique and valuable. The first kind can make you sick and small and weak, but the second can release in you strength and courage and goodness and even wisdom you didn't know you had. Don't worry about losing. If it's right, it happens. The main thing is not to hurry. Nothing good gets away. Oh, yeah, it's very sweet. I, when I was googling like literary quotes to use at weddings, I think that came up a lot. Yeah, hmm. it's a pretty well thought of letter he wrote. Makes and sense. John Steinbeck died on December twentieth, nineteen sixty eight, at age sixty six. All right, good facts, Andrew. Good review, Toby. Thank you. Good facts, Andrew. Good review, me. So Bailey, did you read a book this time? No, I no. Okay, cool. So guys, thanks. Uh, this is the two. <laughs> Yes, I did read a book this time. I read Normal People by Sally Rooney. What? Yes, I love this book. All right, so this... I hope you love it. Well, no spoilers. Oh, no. I hope you hate it. Ooh. For drama. <laughs> <laughs> so Normal People is one of those, you know, it books of the year. Mm-hmm. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody loves Sally Rooney. People are tweeting at her. People, Me included, getting the name of her book wrong. Yep. You know, she's really hot right now, Sally Rooney. So I was very excited to get this, and I got it with a gift certificate that Toby gave me for my birthday. Thank you. Guilty. <laughs> Thank you for enabling her addiction. Yeah. So I would say the logline of this book is essentially, will they or won't they the book? <laughs> That's how I would sum it up. So um, it is a love story between two Irish people, Connell and Marianne. They meet um, in high school. Connell's mother works as a housekeeper for Marianne's family. So she comes from a very rich family, but more of a, um abusive, unhappy family, whereas he's very close with his mother, even though they had less class privileges because, you know, she had him as a teenager, et cetera. She's a single mom. Um, So they meet that way and they're just sort of drawn to each other, even though Connell is very popular in high school and Marianne's kind of the smart weirdo. Um, He's like drastically unpopular. Drastically, yes. Very much bullied and weird 
Mm, barely um, being attracted to the character of a smart weirdo so far. <laughs> and so... Um, this is the part where Bailey reveals, I went to high school in Ireland, you know? Well, <laughs> I do have a story. I do have a story. Okay. These so are I, my favorites. So <laughs> we need to have a theme song for Bailey's high school stories. <laughs> Sadness from the past. No. So <laughs> so they get together um, and they start hooking up, but Connell doesn't want to tell anybody because he's ashamed. And then the years go by, they get older, they both end up attending Trinity College in Dublin because they're very smart. And then the roles sort of reverse. Marianne becomes very popular and Connell becomes more of the outcast. But they sort of come together and come apart multiple times. And the question is, will they or won't they end up together? Mm-hmm. Solid. It is very steamy. Um, in a good way. In a good I way. Think, yeah. um, a lot of it is their chemistry, their intimate connection versus... You know, just a typical romantic, you know, boyfriend girlfriend thing. It's more intense. Um, my personal story that connects with this oh, no. is not as <laughs> not as steamy by any means. But when I was growing up in Maine, my first kiss, a lobsterman from the neighboring island where I grew up. A lobsterman being not like an older lobsterman, like he came from a lobsterman family. A lobster boy. <laughs> And I, I like the record him. show Dylan and Toby just high fived. Uh, barely, that was like a third of our hand. <laughs> so he came from a lobsterman family, but he we sat next to each other in English class, and he told me, you know, Bailey secretly like I want to grow up to be a writer. I don't really want to follow my family. I'm the fourth brother who is going to follow the family into the lobsterman career. And I was Hot. like, oh wow, cool. Anyway, <laughs> you fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. Oh. oh. But was, was he the the bit of was he the bit of chum um, in the trap? Um. Okay. Anyway, he told me Bailey. I I could never tell anybody you know that we kissed because they would just make fun of me. Ooh. Oh. Ice cold. <laughs> so a as lo- cold as you keep a lobster. So a lot of me related to Marianne, and similarly, when I got back from <laughs> my Ivy League school, he did contact me and try to like. You know, be like, what up? Late mm. at night. And I was like, you no. up? Mm. Yeah, exactly. So the tables turn. Yeah. That was my main. Anyway, nothing like I, I did personally relate to the protagonist. Yeah. Well, and I mean, when it happens in the book, it is so brutal. Like you hate him. Like you think you're never going to come back around on him because he's it's a terrible thing that he does. It's terrible, but it's also so teenage. Yeah, it makes so much sense cuz all you care about is what the other teens think of you and in reality mm-hmm. they don't care. Yep. Um so I, I liked that. I liked the interpersonal dynamics so that they were really relatable, really well done and like you said almost tragic in how realistic they felt. Yeah. Um here's another example, a quick sentence. She does a great job of summing up changes in relationships very succinctly. So this is on page 115. This just shows the transition of the relationship. They were best friends. He told her that when she asked him who his best friend was. You, he said. Then at the end of May, he told her he was moving home for the summer. So it's like, we're best friends. I'm gone. Like it's one thing, then the other really quick. I think Sally Rooney is an excellent writer. That was the first thing that stood out to me is she is really wonderful at descriptions. And like I said, these crisp, succinct sentences Here's here's a description on page 23, and this is about their relationship. He carried the secret around like something large and hot, like an overfull tray of hot drinks that he had to carry everywhere and never spill. She just describes it in perf- these perfect little metaphors, and you totally understand what she's talking about. Yeah, not even overwritten ever either, just like very 
to the point. To the point. The structure is interesting because every chapter they go forward a number of months. Mm. So you keep jumping in and out of this relationship and sometimes that's really exciting and sometimes it's very frustrating because it can go from them being together to them being apart and you're like, oh, but they just got together Um, and it will just switch almost every chapter. And in some ways, I really liked that um, because it sort of emphasized the frustration of of them being unable to connect in this way and in other ways it was a bit jumpy, but I understood why she did it. So, so those are all the positives. Those are all the elves. I think it was really great overall. Um, I understand the hype. I'll say that right now. And I think it would make a really great television show. I don't think it would make a great movie. And here's why. My biggest orc is that I feel like she tried to quickly give a climax and a sudden ending that didn't really fit to, for me, where it just felt like this is more about the characters and the time passing and not so much about leading to a specific event. Um, so I didn't love the ending. That was my major orc. And then this is a minor orc that I have to say. An orclet. An orclet. <laughs> That's an upsetting word. A, ti- a, a goblin. A goblin. A tiny goblin, which is, <laughs> this. you guys are going to at me. She doesn't use quotation marks. And I get that that's all arty, but I had a hard time figuring out what parts were dialogue and what parts were not. And I just felt that that was unnecessarily confusing. So all this to say is this, for me, is a four star versus a five star. Had had she put in quotation marks, would it have been a five star? (laughs) Honestly, maybe. And I'm not going to be judged for that. That's funny because I listened to this on Audible, so I had no idea. I mean, maybe that would have made it better for me. I just don't, I don't. Why do people do that? Why not just include quotation marks? Like, what's so cool about that? Rhythm. No, but it takes away the rhythm. It makes me reread. I think when I've seen it done successfully, it creates a rhythm where it goes really fast, and you're not necessarily supposed to track it exactly, but it should create a feeling when you're reading it of the rhythm that the writer wants it to flow like. And maybe now that I think about it, like, uh, their relationship is so intense and their connection is so crazy, she might be trying to say something about, like, them blending together, but then nobody has quotation marks, so that doesn't really make sense. Scrap maybe. that. Maybe. I just, I just found it a little almost pretentious because it's yeah. like, what is, what's the point? I, I mean, why take away something that aids in the reader's comprehension? So, yeah, so I, I would say overall four stars. I did really like it. I would recommend it. It's a quick read. Uh, apparently it's good on Audible too. Really good on Audible. And I will throw my weight behind this. I rated it four stars. I can't remember why I rated it four stars. I think the ending is a little bit abrupt, like you said. Mm-hmm. But I love this book. I It's one of those ones where I think I finished it in two days. Yeah. Just like you can't wait to get back to it. And the drama is always there. The relationship is so intense. And you're just like, you feel, you feel the feelings they're going through. And I always enjoy books like that. Yeah, I agree. It made me want to read her other book, Conversations with Friends. I've heard it's not as good. Ooh. But that's... Well, Sarah Jessica Parker disagrees with you. Oh. Well, she always does. I'll I'll explain that later. Uh, I'm definitely keeping the book on the shelf. Um, It's got a cool cover. It's got a cool cover. I feel like it's one that I can lend out to people. (laughs) So I I think you're cool. (laughs) Yeah. It's got like a... The cover is like a white pencil drawing of the two of them. Looking very generic. It is... One of those books that's annoying if you organize your books by rainbow because it's exactly <laughs> half green, half blue. And so where do you put it? Four stars. <laughs> Andrew, do you have any facts on Miss Sally Rooney? Yes, I do. All right, Sally Rooney. Sally Rooney was born on February 20th, get ready to feel old, 1991 Whoa. in Castlebar, County Mayo, Ireland. For the record, she is younger than all of us. We don't need to know how old we are, but she's younger than all of us. Mm. 
Yeah, well, where's her podcast? <laughs> it's called Her Novels and Her Success. <laughs> my Novels and My Success by Sally Rooney. <laughs> she studied English at Trinity College Dublin. Ooh. Okay. Uh, and she now resides in Dublin. Do you know what's funny about that? Uh, in the, in East of Eden, one of the characters goes to Stanford, where Steinbeck went to school. Hey. Interesting. Where'd you go? I mean, make up some other colleges, guys. Come on. Boom. thought you were authors. <laughs> While at Trinity, um, she won the European Debating Championship in 2013, and she was an incredibly successful college debater at like the highest level in cool. the world. Wow! Um, and she won like the highest level in European debating in 2013. Crazy. Um, also, while at Trinity, she met her future partner John Prasivka, um, and she told the New Yorker in an interview, "I didn't write any good fiction until I met my partner." Oh. They now live together in Dublin. Aww. After completing school, she began writing while supporting herself, working for a restaurant. And in 2015, she wrote an essay called Even If You Beat Me, um, which is about her time in competitive debate. And it got a lot of attention and an agent reached out and said, I understand you also write fiction. Do you have anything I can read? And I'm not sure exactly the order of operations here, um, but she very quickly finished a manuscript for her first novel, Conversations with Friends. Hmm. She wrote about... 100,000 words of her debut novel in three months. Wow. Which is very fast. Wow. Um, and Conversations with Friends, the resulting manuscript, became part of a seven-way battle for publishing rights. Um, and it was published in 2017. I just, um, I imagine she's like, okay, how long can I wait before responding to that email with my novel? Okay, I got to write it. <laughs> is, is anyone else getting Otessa Moschweg vibes? A little bit. A little bit. Like, but that yeah. story is actually incredibly similar to Zadie Smith as well. Oh, uh, that's right. Yeah. Um, um, I should say now a lot of this information I got uh, from Sally Rooney gets in your head, a New Yorker article written by Lauren Collins. Uh, Conversations with Friends was a hit, and many prominent people, including Zadie Smith and Sarah Jessica Parker, were vocal in their enjoyment of the novel. Um, Normal People is her second novel, published one year after. Uh, it was long listed for the Man Booker Prize and won several other awards. Wow, she's productive. She's very productive. Yep. She is currently working on her third novel, which is, has the working title, Beautiful World, Where Are You? And it's out right now. <laughs> She's finished it in a day. She, Someone writes, just... no, she writes novels faster than we release podcasts. <laughs> Someone just <laughs> threw a copy of it through our door. What follows is a chunk from Sally Rooney Gets in Your Head by Lauren Collins um, about a friend of hers named Thomas Morris, who's also a writer, and how he uh, got to know and respect her. Sally Rooney. Thomas Morris, a writer in Dublin, told me that his, his friendship with Rooney began at a university literary society event over a platter of Bakewell tarts. Mm. Morris said to Rooney that he'd rate the tarts an 8 on a scale of 1 to 10. She was sure they deserved a 6. Then they started sparring over whether they were ranking the Bakewell tarts as Bakewell tarts or as food in general. <laughs> I naively, this is Morris saying this, I naively arrogantly thought because I was older that I would win the argument. But you can guess how it went. Sally was right and I was wrong and I knew immediately that I wanted to be friends with the person who could so easily upend and transform my view of the world and my ranking system for cakes. Well, she must debate everybody at any chance. I mean, she's clearly very good at it, and also probably why she's really good at writing succinctly. Yes, because that you makes have sense. to make your points very directly. Good point. And I will say, I've had Bakewell tart; it's really good, but they're like little uh, scony type things with raspberry jam. Yeah, it's not a great descriptor, but it's they're good. It's like a log. Of <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't taste like tart, no, but it tastes good. All right. Yeah, and so those are my facts. Good facts, Andrew. Good awesome. facts, Andrew. Andrew, do you have a game for us? I do. Let's do it. All right. This game is called Banshee Fornia. Banshee Fornia. Okay. okay. All right. 
I went with a geographical theme here. Yeah. Okay. Are banshees originally Irish? I don't know that. Originally an Irish uh, folktale character. Huh. Yes. Cool. So the way this game is going to work, it's our classic is this either or either of of an option. The uh, contestants this time are an Irish folktale monster or character Mm -hmm. or a city in California because Steinbeck wrote so successfully about Oh, I feel confident about this. You feel confident about this? I'm from California. I know. That's why and I feel confident because both of you I have am lived... an Irish monster. <laughs> <laughs> both of you have lived in California for a while. I don't know how easy this is because I'm the New Yorker here. So I don't know how popular these cities are. I don't know how well known they are. Um, so we're playing to three points. So this is going to be a tight game. Okay. There's obviously no stealing because it's an either or. Mm-hmm. Your buzz is the buzz of a baby banshee. Baby. So not a full on banshee. Okay. The a whale, baby banshee. The whale, whale of a baby the banshee. The whale that won't make you like kill yourself, but it'll make you real bummed out. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right, are you ready? Yep. Yes. Puka. Yeah. Bailey started first there. Irish monster. That is correct. That was going to be my guess. They are a shape-shifting race of people. Now, um, how do you make them into necklaces? <laughs> By hanging loose. <laughs> a Barta. Uh, Toby. Um, you didn't have an answer. You just buzzed no, in. Yeah. <laughs> that's, uh, his, that's his A Barta. Um, I'm going to say uh, California. Nope. It is a member of the tribe of gods. Kotati. Uh, Irish. Oh. Nope, that is also incorrect. <laughs> it is a city in Sonoma County. Might just be a town. Solvang. Ah. Bailey. California. That is correct. I've, that I've been there. Bailey has two points. Toby has zero, despite dripping with confidence at the oh. beginning. <laughs> I should never drip with confidence. <laughs> Selkie. Ah. Toby. Irish. Irish. That's correct. It's That's the, the easiest one. Yeah. Uh, no, it's a oh, seal, no, it's hum- a seal, that seal human hybrid. Yeah. Oh. It's uh, it's like uh, it's people who are like they can wear the a seal skin and then when they come on land they can leave it behind and become a human, right? Yeah, they put on the seal skin and it transforms them into a seal. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it, people steal it, it becomes the whole thing. Yeah, they fall in love with the person who steals it. I think. Yeah, all kinds of stuff happens. Cool. <laughs> N bar. Yeah. Bailey. Mm, California. Nope, it is a horse of land and sea. That would have been my guess as well. Ooh. See, they were more similar than you think. Yeah, I thought they were going to be easier to be like, nope. you know, Sacramento. This, hey, this is why I get paid zero dollars. <laughs> I find like, things that sound similar. Like who pays you? <laughs> series. Uh, Irish? Nope. Oh, series. See, I could have been pronouncing this incorrect. It's spelled C-E-R-E-S. Well, I've never series. heard of Series. It's in Stanislaus County. Mm-hmm. Oh. Stanislaus. Lompoc. Ah, California. Toby, yep. What's the score? We are tied at two to two. Any correct answer here will win the game. He checked that off. He checked it off. He's like, I said that. I only have like two more left. <laughs> Menifee. Ah. Bailey? Irish. It's a city in California. Oh, that it's was, was going to be my guess too, yeah. though. It's you in know. Riverside County. You know Ooh. what? Andrew's pretty good at this. Yeah, Andrew's great. All right. I hope one of you gets this right because otherwise I don't <laughs> Marrow. Ah. Toby? Okay, my instinct is to say Irish, so I'm going to go with California. <laughs> no! <laughs> well? Uh, okay, would your, your answer have, have changed if I said Murrow? No. Okay. Uh, that is, I'm sorry, incorrect. We're going to have to leave this in a tie. <laughs> I'm sorry, there is no winner here. Leprechaun. San Diego. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're going to leave it at a tie. Good job, y'all. Good job, Toby. All right, uh, Dylan, it's now that time in the podcast where you choose books at random from our shelves to read next. It is The The Choosening. The Choosening. You guys get to see the dance I do. (laughs) Mm. So, Toby, speaking of 
Why do you always make it Weird. sound scary? Speaking of scary stuff, like ghosts, we have number 38, Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders. Okay, uh, I'm excited. I've only read 10th of December, and obviously this book has a little bit of hype around it, so I'm excited to, to I, read it. I loved it. I did listen to the Audible. It was very well produced, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Maybe the book is, is good, too. Uh, Billy, you have number 58. Just Kids by Patty Smith. Yay! Yay. <laughs> yeah, I really love that book. Yeah, me too. I think it's a five-star one for me. Everybody really loved it, and I waited, and I got, last year at Christmas, the illustrated edition. Oh, So it's beautiful. I'll show it to you. It has, like, you know, photographs from Robert Maplethorpe and her, and but it is a signed edition. Oh, whoa. Oh, signed really by Patty cool. Smith back. actually quite cool. I got, really cool. It, I got it from the Strand, and it had, like, little nicks on it, but it was signed, so I was like, okay. Stevie Nicks? <laughs> anyway, oh, I'm yeah, very excited for that. A picture of Stevie. No, I liked it, Dylan. <laughs> Dylan's very happy with himself about that joke. All right. We have a special guest next week. Yes. Our friend Ali Sleishman, um, who we met um, on our way to the Austin Film Festival, me and Dylan. Um, we'll learn more about that meeting in the mini episode. We're going to talk about the top three tools that we would take into the apocalypse from, yes. from books. Mm-hmm. And tools, Ali items. will explain why that is appropriate to her visiting our podcast. When she yes. Gets Mysterious. Mysterious. Mm. And then... In two weeks, we'll have a regular episode. Andrew is reading Outlander by Diana Gabaldon. I. <laughs> and hey. I will read Just Kids by Patty Smith. Beautiful. It's a perfect be pairing. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the To Read List podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the To Read List podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the To Read List podcast and on Twitter at To Read List pod. If you enjoyed this podcast, please go onto your podcast app of choice and rate our podcast five stars and also leave a review if you can. It sounds silly, but it does expand our footprint and uh, make it easier for more people to find the podcast. And uh, even better than that, or just as good, um, if you enjoyed this podcast and you know someone in your life who loves books, loves reading, and you think would enjoy this podcast, tell them they must listen to it, um, or you won't be friends with them anymore, or you, you won't even be related to them anymore. It's over. Emancipate yourself from your family. <laughs> we'll take you in. Dylan and Bailey have room on their floor. Perfect Thanksgiving talk. <laughs> uh, I'm abandoning this family to become part of a podcast. <laughs> Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you next week. Happy reading. Books, books, books. books.